What's up, everybody? Welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. So this show's called Investing in Cannabis, but we really have featured mostly the venture, early stage, angel side of cannabis. And there are many ways to raise money in this industry. There's public funding, pink sheets, and penny stocks, some of which are out there. There's also crowdfunding. Uh, you know, you can give away a little bit of your company for some anonymous donor on the internet as well today. So that's what we're gonna talk about. We have Jim from Kodiak Capital. Nice to meet you, man. Nice Thanks for you. being here. Thank you for having and, uh, me. So just tell us, what, what's Kodiak Capital? Kodiak Capital makes direct investments in publicly traded companies. We have our trademark VIPE fund, Venture Investment in Public Equities. Okay. We uh, incorporated in 2009 in Delaware, originally in New York, moved a couple years later out to Southern California to be closer to our investors and our investments. So we uh, have invested in the cannabis industry since about 2011, we're early. Okay. Uh, Ryan Hodson is our founder and had a little bit of a hit or miss strategy, but they've had about $20 million. I got invo involved with Kodiak Capital. I'm a former elected official, recently retired chairman of my city's planning commission, so I come in with that land use regulatory background. Mm -hmm. And since last summer, we've built Kodiak up to be the most active institutional investor in publicly traded companies. We have about 15 million in committed capital out there in the streets and are actively looking for uh, opportunities to invest in uh, in the cannabis industry. So yeah, let's just back up a little bit there. So you've raised $15 million to invest in public cannabis companies. Now I think a lot of people out there will be shocked to hear that there are public cannabis companies. Are there, is the industry mature enough for that yet? I mean, it seems like it's pretty early for IPOs, right? Uh, fair point, but there are 350 publicly traded cannabis companies. Wow. Some of them are non-reporting, some of them are fully reporting. In April of 2014, we had that kind of irrational exuberance of just once Colorado went, we saw uh, the, the skyrocketing of many of the publicly traded companies and the SEC came in and threw a wet blanket on it and said, uh, you know, not so fast. And we've been on a 104 week daily exploring new lows since with the rising tide of GW Pharma. When they came out with positive trials, we did see a resurgence and now we're plateaued. But we're looking to 2016 in the election as a set of compelling events, a set of circumstances that necessitate change. And we're, we're preparing our fund and our efforts and energies to capitalize on that. So you mentioned GW Pharma. That's your biggest investment today? Oh, I wish we were in GW Pharma. Oh, that's, a, okay. that's a billion dollar company. But once they got a positive outcome, it really says cannabis worked, we proved it. It was a rising tide for all publicly traded stocks and the industry in general. I see, so take me through kind of the cost benefit analysis here. Uh, I wanna start a cannabis company. I've gone to angels, I can't raise any money. It's hard to raise money. They're all bullshitters, they're not writing checks. Uh, why, why would I wanna become a public company? I mean, what's, what's the benefit there? That's a great choice and one of the things that we do is we don't encourage a company to go public. You really have to wanna go public. You have to have not only the acumen to run a company, but the ability and interest and funding to run a publicly traded company. There are anywhere from, oh, in a low of 200,000, maybe a high of uh, 400,000 a year, just feeding the beast of being a publicly traded company. However, um, as a publicly traded company in good standing, in 48 hours, I could help a company raise $250,000. So there's benefit to accessing capital in the public markets, but it's not for the faint of heart. It's not easy. And um, 
not everybody makes it. So is there really that much liquidity in the cannabis public market? I mean, you said $250,000 in a day. I mean, there's a lot of active uh, buyers out there, yeah? So yeah, so when I started last summer, we have a syndicate that invests in our uh, life science businesses and they come together. And I tried to get them to say, okay, come on in, let's, the water's warm, come on in over here into cannabis. And they were unprepared at that time based off of a risk profile and really an understanding of the cannabis industry in general. And so uh, they've run shotgun on our due diligence. The, we've allowed their camel's nose to come under our tent, look at what, some of the things that we're doing. And now they're prepared to co-invest with us. Uh, we lead on the equity. They come in with some short-term bridge financing and okay. things like that. And that's what's helped be, uh, build Kodiak as the most active institutional investor in publicly traded cannabis companies. And how do you define most active? What, Excellent what point. Uh, first, most, biggest, you know, in the last year, um, we have filed more registration statements in cannabis than Kodiak filed all last year in a okay. sector agnostic profile. Um, we, on our deals, we're seldom competitive where somebody else is looking to fund. We're more just trying to find the right uh, mix between the company and ourselves that it works for us uh, and for the company. Mm -hmm. So, and if you're a publicly traded company, there's probably a good chance that I've, I've called you, emailed you, or most likely been on the phone with you. Mm -hmm. So we are trying to leverage our subject matter expertise and my experience as an elected official and chairman of the planning commission where I have that land use and regulatory schemes. Ryan Hudson and Kodiak have the access to capital. I think those are the two biggest issues facing any cannabis company. Um, and we have a one-two punch where Kodiak can be the strategic capital if I can lean into the deal sure. and help achieve the company's desired outcomes. Sure, and is the strategy to find and invest in current public companies or to convert private companies into public companies and then invest in them? Brilliant leading question and thank you for that. <laughs> so Kodiak does, our fund and our charter is to invest in publicly traded companies and our limited partners kept saying, why do you keep passing on all these private opportunities? Boy, that looked like a good one. Aren't any of them putting their hand in the air and saying that they wanna access institutional capital in the public markets and don't you guys know this better than anybody else and can't you help them build the foundation to take on that institutional capital? Informal Kodiak has done that over the years. They've helped private companies go public alongside a commitment of an institutional partner by putting that uh, pot of gold or that gold of pot at the end of that tunnel. Um, and so what we did was we looked at the compelling event of elections in 2016. We look at what and modeled off of Colorado and saw once that legalization, adult use regulatory scheme and the plethora of companies that sought to go public, we've launched Green Dragon Accelerator, which is the first accelerator that helps private companies go public. Mm -hmm. So we're here in Gateway, which is an awesome incubator. Just had my first tour here looking around at all the different companies that are that are co-working, working together to try and figure out that kind of foundational capital. The, the, it's an incredible energy. It really is. In this building, in this program. Yeah. yeah. And wouldn't it be cool for those that put their hand in the air that we were the follow-on effort and energy to help them access capital in the public market? Got it. So uh, the message to all the uh, sort of venture angels out there is that they shouldn't be threatened by Kodiak, right? I mean, you're here to play with them and, and be that next bit of money, correct? Um, we spend a lot of time advising both our portfolio companies. That's the role that we play. Um, 
as well as other companies just trying to get them ready for a relationship with Kodiak. So Green Dragon, Ryan Hudson and I are both from Boston. Green Dragon Tavern was America's original disruptive venture. It's the operational personality that we hope to carry into our accelerator. Green Dragon Tavern birthed the midnight ride of Paul Revere, the Boston Tea Party, the American Revolution 240 years, 240 years ago. So a couple of Boston kids are trying to do that same, same thing now in the cannabis industry and help private companies go public. Yeah. Who's coming? If it's not the British, who's, who's coming? I, I think favorable regulatory schemes, you know, okay. where, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit about some of uh, Kodiak's portfolio companies. Would Absolutely, a, yeah. A good thing. So it's really cool. I, you know, I came to Southern California working for Big Pharma, uh, consumer side of Big Pharma. I was selling Tylenol, preparing the marketplace to get ready for the billion dollar drugs that would soon be available over the counter. Very, very relevant for today, right? And so I had um, a lunch with, out of Israel is One World Cannabis Pharmaceutical. Now, when we talked about GW Pharma with a something point something billion valuation, they have a $6 million valuation. Mm -hmm. They have a really strong portfolio. Mm -hmm. And I'm not gonna break my rule where everyone compares themselves to a valuation of a Weed Maps or a GW Pharma, but I don't have to be a billion dollar uh, to get a, a 10x invest, sure. uh, you know, return on my investment there. They have a really strong portfolio. They have topicals for melanoma or they're looking at PTSD solutions, mm -hmm. right? And so I walked away from that lunch saying, wouldn't it be cool if myself or my family or my friends benefited from a Kodiak investment that the future medicinal aspects of cannabis have been unlocked mm -hmm. and they're benefiting from it? Mm -hmm. um, so we're really excited about our investment over in Israel and One World Cannabis uh, Pharmaceutical. We also think about the jobs that we're creating in this industry. You know, Not enough people talk about the jobs that cannabis is creating, yeah. right? They talk a lot about the tax benefits and, and a lot of cities have escalating costs and declining revenue and solve for that. But fixing blighted communities with, by going in and fixing up the, that store to be the, the retail, the cultivation, the analytical testing, whatever that would be, uh, but also the jobs. Yeah, in terms of job creation, I think also it's very understated the, the fact that the type of people that are hired for these jobs, there's a much higher percentage of minorities and women that, that are part of the cannabis industry. And so we talk about creating jobs, but the type of jobs is very important too, right? It's unlocking this other segment that, that otherwise would not have been qualified for many other jobs in the market, which I think is a fascinating development. Many of them, it's their passion industry. Uh, they're, they're believers in it. Their heart and uh, efforts and energies are in it. Yeah. yeah, really cool. Yeah, so you have a, a pretty cool background. I just want to kind of talk about it briefly. Uh, you live in my home county of Orange County. Yeah. Not too many cannabis folks coming out of there, uh, but cool to find a, uh, a brother in arms, I suppose we could say. But how did you get into this? You have this great uh, sort of enterprise background as well as working in the zoning committee and, and doing some, some public work. And, uh, you know, how does cannabis come into your life? How does that happen? Yeah, completely accidental. So my story grew up in Boston, went to Notre Dame, consumer side of Big Pharma, came out to Southern California. Uh, once I did all of that RX to OTC switch efforts and energies, I went to a company called Catalina Marketing, which is in-store behavior-based targeted marketing. 
big data second only to Google. When I tried to take a sabbatical or leave the company, they said, Fitzy, why don't we send you over to Japan, figure out whether we're going to close it. I came back and, and got the company to spend, the internal venture capitalist to spend $8 million blowing it up. And then when I came out of my, my international assignment, rather than go and monetize that unique skill set to the Googles and the Amazons of the world, my former brothers and arms are all retired millionaires at this time. I developed car wash. And I went to the city of Newport Beach and they said no. So I had to become a land use subject matter expert, expert out of necessity. Okay. I then put sidewalks into my neighborhood. Uh, three times they tried to shoot me down. It wound up being a $1.2 million complete street and really cool. And everyone at City Hall was like, you're pretty good at this. Come on in. The water's warm. Mm. And as I was there with my hair on fire trying to improve my community over six years, I was uh, regulating nuisance uses like problem motels or recycling centers where the scale and intensity um, had, wasn't contemplated 20 years ago. And so I started getting pulled aside from the, the industry and it wasn't who I thought, it was the respected business people, the doctors and the lawyers, and they were saying, Fitzy, this industry needs you. They need to figure out, they all wanna be regulated, they all wanna play by the rules, please help them. And so over time, little by little, they kind of brought me in. When I retired, I thought I'd be a solutioner to the big land use developers that mm -hmm. I was helping shepherd in projects into the city and they said they weren't doing that, right? They said, but. Uh, the family would like to hire you because they have $10 million they want to invest in cannabis. And so uh, reluctantly, I, you know, my family's got to eat too, you know? At that Here moment I am. though, so you're, you're like having lunch, having lunch. With, these, yeah. <laughs> with these people yeah. and they say, we've raised $10 million, we have $10 million yeah. to invest in cannabis companies. Will you help us? Yeah. Took me to the second lunch. Yeah. Okay. Once it came out the second time, I said, I, I actually, I know who I am now. I'm Jim Fitzpatrick. I'm solutioneer. You know, I'm going to help you invest in the cannabis industry. And then I was at another lunch and I met Ryan Hudson because it was challenges. I didn't have the right shingle and the credentials, the broker dealer licenses. And I was like, eh, even if I was successful, I could get in trouble. And I, I met Ryan Hudson from Kodiak Capital, stopped the lunch and said, buddy, I've been looking for you. And, you know, over the last year, the rest has been history. Very, very cool. Um, so tell me a little bit about the workflow. I'm fascinated by investors as a whole, but particularly in the cannabis space, like what's your day look like? You know, what, what, do, you, what do you do during the day? Yeah, after I hustle and drop my kids off at school and, and uh, really enjoy being a, a dad and a family man, right, is um, I get on the phone. I am on the phone all day. I'm either outbound call saying, introducing myself that I'd like to consider an investment in the company or stacking meeting one after another with that venture stage company that is looking for their first institutional partner, to be, someone to become their largest shareholder and seeing if we can't work out a deal. Um, I'm able to, uh, um, you know, great networker. Thanks for you guys for inviting me up here. I have no doubt this is, gonna, this is gonna help me get my phone to ring because it's a lot easier if they're inbound and I just have to, you know, um, introduce our investment thesis. Inbound is it. beautiful. Oh, isn't it? Inbound is beautiful. I'm a sales guy myself during the day. I sell software during the day. And outbound, you sort of get this gratification, right? Like I found them, yeah, I convinced them. Yeah. But inbound, there's nothing better than like, you know, you just get an email in the morning like, I really want to use what you're selling. Yes. <laughs> and Kodiak, we've worked really hard to develop our brand, develop our point of difference, to develop trust, um, and, you know, be that strategic institutional go-to partner. Let's talk about the future a little bit here. So 
uh, ASUSA, AUSA, will be on the ballot in November, yeah. right? What's that mean for the public markets? What's it mean for Kodiak? Well, regulatory certainty uh, provides predictability, and as an institutional investor, that's what you want. So, as I mentioned, my big company, big pharma training, taught me to I, try and identify a compelling event, which is a set of circumstances that necessitate change, mm. right? I don't have to convince you what to do. You just got a letter from the government that says you must do it and you shall do it by date specific. All I have to do is attach my unique business value as a solution. And so that's why we're gearing up with our accelerator. Another exciting thing too is we're in the trenches every day. So we're able to really kind of, by getting hit over the head and people, people telling us where this is headed, um, in order to support these brands, the emerging brands, right? Think about back in the day when alcohol as a model in a post-prohibition era. We're in Southern California, which is the largest market and the largest market, largest state in the world, right? So these brands aren't ready to go public. So we now have a million and a half dollar fund where we're targeting private brands that go in, get to yes with the distributor. The distributor tells them that they are able to double the amount of distribution doors that they have, mm -hmm. but their friends and family are dry, the banks are saying no, and Kodiak will strategically deploy its capital in our investment thesis is to try and find those brands that have a bank account, <laughs> and we can do cash advance and loans to help those brands build the inventory to meet that new demand. You mentioned bank account, yeah. which is a very, very interesting topic in this industry. Yeah. You think that's gonna change quickly after November, after adult use has passed? Is that, you know, what's the future of banking look like? So I think I have a great one-two punch with land use and regulatory schemes and access to capital. Banking is a game changer. So one of the Senate subcommittees just brought something forward at a, at a federal level. It has to, has to, um, get resolved, and so one of the things that we're looking for, we're looking for hemp. I really want to invest in hemp mm -hmm. and the CD, CBD side of it. The analytical testing, that foundational element that says whatever you are consuming and ingesting doesn't have pesticides, you know what the um, THC, CBD, and terpene profile is. Yep. So those are the foundational elements. But banking solutions, there are so many people out there with great ideas mm. of how to take that black market cash, legitimize it, tax it, traceability. Yeah, there's a really good one in this incubator, actually. Is, is there? Oh. They'll, they'll be coming soon, yeah. Exciting. They've got some cryptocurrency blockchain stuff they're working on, and yeah, they're gonna let you take credit Blockchain, cards, so. blockchain yeah. is a buzzword right now. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, who knows? Government can can either make a market or delay a market, but that compelling event is going to happen, tea leaves say, hopefully soon, and then all these entrepreneurs can now provide solutions and folks like myself and, and others, there's, there's others out there, it's nice to see that there's other capital coming uh, to provide these early stage ventures some um, access to capital. So it sounds like you're just really, really good at picking through the noise that is a lot of cannabis and, and selecting companies that you invest in. Obviously, Kodiak has identified that as well. You you are their deal flow. I don't know what your title is, but it should just be deal flow. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how you pick those companies. What are the things that you look for? So it was interesting, right? I got a new car smarter than me, um, the car, the electric, you know, plug in and all this sort of stuff. And so I get um, internet radio. Yep. I'm driving down, venture capital guys on there, right? 
Okay, so uh, he says, yes, well, we look for uh, management teams that have worked extensively together in multiple exits, and I'm like, yeah, not in the cannabis industry, right? We don't, we don't have that criteria here. There's a couple. There's a couple. There's a couple. I just talked to Cy Scott of Leafly, who's the founder of Leafly, now doing headset. Everybody wants to give that guy money, right? Because yeah, an exit. Well, yeah, he, yeah, experience working together, yeah. multiple exits, yeah. absolutely. But it's not. It's few and far between. So one of the things that we really look at is we invest in the people. Do we want to have go out and have a beer with them after kind of our work day is done? Yeah. That's an important criteria. Can they? Cash management is so critical, right? Mm-hmm. So can they manage a checkbook and a calendar? Um, are they a hedgehog? Are are they, are they really focused or are they suffering from diffusion of focus? Um, so a, we've had to adapt our investment thesis to try and get a little bit creative in the industry to figure out who those are. But at the end of the day, someone who's persistent, I just um, put a guy to the top of the list because he wouldn't give up. He came at me from LinkedIn and then all of a sudden he's, you know, he's doing it in a really thoughtful way. And I was just like, I, I need to find a way to work with this guy. Mm. I was inspired by him. Mm. No, absolutely. And so do you look at a lot of decks? What's, what's your number one way to evaluate a company? You prefer a conversation? How do you go about that, that due diligence process? Well, it's interesting. Some people say, you know, ooh, public companies. And I say, well, the reason why you can say ooh about a public company is I can go online to sec.gov and I can look at all of their filings and I can determine whether their, um, their cash flow and their balance sheets are sound or if there are, there are issues. Mm-hmm. And so we have the benefit of investing in publicly traded companies that we have all of that data available to us, mm-hmm. right? So that's one of the first things that we do is to look at the health and stability of the company. Now, some people might push it aside. Kodiak gets really excited. We have this thing called life, liabilities for equity. So even though a balance sheet has some blight on it, we get excited because we can go in, we can clean that up. Mm-hmm. We can issue new money to the company. Company, right, and get that stock, uh, create some market awareness, get some liquidity in that stock mm-hmm. so that they can take follow on capital and prepare. We see opportunities for acquisitions, right? So, some companies that are trading lunch money a day, that's really not going to be attractive to people who come on in and join that mothership, right? But if we can get some interest in there and get some liquidity, then they can utilize their stock as a currency in an acquisition strategy. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, we're talking about penny stocks here, right? We're talking about pink sheets, OTC. OTC, which is really interesting. I don't know what over-the-counter ha- has to do with it. I don't really understand that. Can I, do you know where OTC comes from? Where? Uh, yeah, it's a really yeah. kind of weird thing that we say. Pink sheets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this... The lower middle markets. No very doubt. inexpensive stocks here we're talking about, right? What's a typical investment for Kodiak look like? We do both debt and equity. So on the debt side, we might do twenty-five, fifty thousand a month mm-hmm. uh, over several months. We call it Kodiak, keeping the lights on, mm-hmm. especially companies that are use, utilizing it to build inventory, so that it can go through that cycle and they have the likelihood of being able to actually pay that back because yeah. we we secure it against the stock. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the the equity side. Um, minimums 250, but you see us mostly in that million to two million. Okay. And what's really interesting is that syndicate from our life sciences portfolio is now comfortable with cannabis. 
um, high technical thing is this thing called integration where we can't do both debt and equity. So okay. if we want to be the follow-on equity strategic partner, we need that short-term capital. We have folks that can do that. See. Okay. And we are preparing. We think some of these raises are going to get a little bit larger in that 5 to $10 million range. And we've brought those syndicates in so that we can co-invest in a, in a larger syndicate. Again, technical, we have this thing, a 9.9% .9 affiliate blocker where we can't own more than 9% of any one company. Mm -hmm. So depending where they are, in that escalation of share price and market uh, capitalization. Um, we have a partner here so that they, we can get the companies the necessary access to capital when the company needs it. We structure our equity deals that put the company in control. They decide when and how much equity they're going to sell us. And we think that if anyone's going to be selling equity in their publicly traded cannabis companies, it should be to a partner like ourselves. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So the skills and strategies that you've laid out here are not unique to the cannabis market, not, not in the least. And I wonder, you know, what, what drives your passion for this market as opposed to any other penny stocks you could trade? Yeah, um, my subject matter expertise. So when I was chairman of the city's planning commission, the ballot-based signature initiatives came to our city, where you go around the elected official and directly to the voters. Mm -hmm. And they got enough um, signatures to, to elect themselves to council. It's clear that our community wanted it. I thought they were, didn't favor the municipality. They were a little uh, monopolistic favoring the author, right? I guess if I'm gonna pay for something, I want it to favor my desired outcome. So I worked with Councilmember Monahan to craft the best of breed ordinance. And through that process, I met the folks over at Weed Maps who are really thoughtful in the way that they, they craft regulatory schemes and really helped me do some of those things. So by reaching out to those folks, um, we were able to craft a best of breed ordinance that this Tuesday, the city council will be reviewing. Mm, fascinating. That's real work. That's work that needs to be done. I think most people don't have a concept of what happens behind the scenes. And you know, lobbying is a part of every industry. Uh, you really are at the forefront of making this happen, at least at the local level, right? I mean, you talk about how you approach a, a city official uh, about a cannabis uh, ordinance or something you're trying to pass. I mean, it's kind of a delicate conversation, no? Yeah, well, one of the things is I'm credentialed, right? Mm -hmm. I can talk about I, Notre Dame, international business. I was elected mm -hmm. and appointed. I did six years of regulating nuisance uses. So I can talk the language. I, I suit up. I want to mirror the image. Thanks for getting dressed here. Yeah, no Look, sweat, Looking man. sharp. Man. Thanks. So, but the industry doesn't. They come in with the marijuana leaf on the hat and, you know, tell the mayor dude. And it's just, they, they it, it increases the level of uncomfortability, uncomfortable and, and uncertainty, right? And so one of the things that I really am looking forward to November 2016 is having candidates put their hand in the air and say, I'm pro-cannabis, right? Mm -hmm. Because anyone who's told me, that I do have someday when my kids are, are out of the house and things, I'll run for uh, re-election again. Some of the industry folks said, Fitzy, do it now. It pulls off the charts, right? So although the voters have been favorable, we haven't seen a candidate, at least at a local level, that has run on the issue, that has raised money on the issue, and that the industry has been able to support. So it'll be really interesting over the next couple of months to see how that works, because I, I would advise any candidate that is pro-cannabis to put their hand in the, in the air, and I think the cavalry does come in terms of votes and I agree the results are there. Uh, I think candidates should do it because it's the right thing to do. 
I, I really believe in that too. I think that you know there still is some little bit of politics out there that is about the moral benefit of our society, and cannabis becoming more and more apparent that this is a valuable component to our society, whether that's in taxation or medical benefits or just for fun's sake, entertainment is okay as well. I'm libertarian. I'm for a smaller government, yeah. so I think government should get out of the way on this. So you look and talk to so many companies on a regular basis. Is there a piece of advice for founders out there, for CEOs of companies? What do they, should they do? What shouldn't they do? You know, give them some of your experience here. So one of the things I would say is I have this thing called, I, uh, I call it get smart quick. And how do you know what you don't know if you don't know? you find somebody who does. Mm. So my one recommendation is I see a lot of founders, I see a lot of guys that really have passion and knowledge, but they don't have the right team. And even when they try and go get that team, they don't seek the top of the food chain individual, whether it's the attorney or the lobbyist or the, the, um, the, the individuals that really can propel their business. And I think by spending money in the short term, they'll save time and money in the long term. So I would go build a good team around the founder. That's great advice, that's great advice. So we've come to my favorite part of the show here. I'm always fascinated by the guest's personal consumption. You do big, important things during the day, talking to companies, buying stocks. When you go home at night, uh, do, do you enjoy a little cannabis yourself as well? So the one thing that President Obama and I have in common is we both inhaled in college. <laughs> and so I, it's always funny in this industry, right? It's kind of because it's still medicinal, right? So if I were the CEO of Pfizer, you wouldn't say, hey, bro, how's that Viagra working for you, right? But I, I, I would. You but. would? That's a fair <laughs> point. Yeah, I know you would. So one of the things that I would say is, is that, um, and it really got me started investing in One World Cannabis is the topicals. I have pain in my my hands and my feet, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, non, it's hereditary. It's non-diabetic, right? And I've tried everything. Food, uh, Medicaid um, didn't want to operate, right? And so these topical lotions are amazing. I get instant relief. Wow. And then all of a sudden somebody else said, hey, and they did slip me, speaking of Viagra, this little kind of uh, intimacy lube. And I gotta tell you, for anyone out there that wants to change their marriage, uh, yeah. it's really, I'm just I'm just saying from personal experience, man. We've been talking about having Foria on the company. Foria, okay, yeah. if you can get me in touch with Foria, I would love, that's a brand I would love yeah. To, yeah. to get involved Talk with. Talk to producer Eric, he'll get you in touch All right, producer Eric. Yeah, uh, cool, well thanks so much for being here, man. It's great, great discussion. Plug some stuff here, KodiakCapital.com, or what, what's the website? Uh, KodiakFunds.com. KodiakFunds.com. Uh, you want to put your email out there in case anybody wants to Jim get a hold of you? Jim at KodiakFunds.com. Awesome. Okay, cool. Is the best way to get in touch. Great conversation. Great to meet you. Thanks for being here so much. Nice to meet you again. And uh, thanks for watching, guys. We'll, uh, we'll see you next time.